Praise the Lord. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 7. We are returning to our series in Mark. And when I say series, I just mean we're going verse by verse until we're done with the book. Um, and then we'll go to another book. Uh, but we already did, back on November the 14th, we already did Mark chapter 7, 1 through 8. But unless you are a prize pupil this morning, you may not remember that sermon. Um, and I want to I go back and go over that material because uh, this is so relevant um, to... The scripture is always relevant, don't get me wrong. But the poignancy of the relevancy, the, the stark relevancy of this passage for the world we live in, in particular, Appalachia, Bible Belt, uh, we know what true holiness looks like. It looks like grandpa. You know, we, we, we who grew up in the Bible Belt, in particular, um, this passage of Scripture is really, really speaks to us. Now, it serves as a warning no matter where you grew up. So it works all over the world. But you'll see. Let's read. We're going to read the first 13 verses, um, and then we're going to dive in. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the, some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem... They saw that some of his disciples ate with their hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. We thank you for this moment in the ministry of Jesus. God, I pray that you would make it living to us. You would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your law, that we would grow, that we would be able to live, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be drawn closer to you. Lord, help me to communicate this in a way that is effective and helpful for everyone. Lord, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is this about? This is about something that should be pretty obvious. It's the tradition of men versus the commandments of God. And if you want to use a word we are somewhat familiar with, but can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, this is about legalism. The pharisaical legalism 
of that day in the first century with, with Jesus, you can tell by listening to him talk that this is not a new problem. You can hear the way he even ends, and he says, and many such things you do, and you can hear it in the parentheses beginning in uh, verse 3, all the way verses 3 and 4 is a parentheses where he where the author, Mark, is explaining to the Gentile audience uh, who probably doesn't understand all the Jewish stuff going on in this passage. Uh, Mark says they, they do more than just this washing thing. There's couches and cups. There's all these rules. So when you read this parallel story in Matthew chapter 15, Matthew doesn't use that because Matthew is primarily written to a more Jewish audience that already understood what was going on. But for us as Gentiles, we have that uh, parentheses to let us know the Jewish tradition had grown so large that it was hard to keep because they got they got so far away from the heart of the issue of holiness and purity that they had created this system that involved complicated washings in order to be pure before you did anything. Now, if you remember, some of you may remember that this washing that the Pharisees are upset about, which, by the way, they came from Jerusalem to where they are, about 90 miles, to talk about hand washing. Just to give you the degree, and they didn't come via vehicle. They came via horseback or donkey or foot. They walked 90 miles to confront Jesus. That is the ripple effect of his ministry by the time we are here. He was making an impact, and they wanted to come catch him uh, in some stuff that was violating the law. These hand-washing ceremonies, these things that you were supposed to do when you came back from the marketplace, because there may have been icky-yucky Gentiles there, and if there's icky-yucky Gentiles there in the marketplace, they have made you unclean, just by being near them. I watched Monsters, Inc. yesterday with Arwen. How many of you have seen Monsters, Inc.? How many of you know that originally the monsters believed that children were toxic? You remember that? You remember the, the, uh, the long ordeal they go through when the monster comes out, he's got a little sock on his back, and they take it off. They're in hazmat suits. They put it under the thing and blow it up. And that is very much the way that the Jewish uh, law, in the way it grew in the tradition, treated Gentiles. Ooh, you were in the marketplace. We've got to get a hazmat suit and get you clean again. And some Pharisees, what they were doing is they were showing how holy they were by how clean they were and separate from the Gentiles. And they, there is a lot of literature. It's called, if you're interested, the Mishnah uh, that the Jewish folks used. That was a commentary on the law. The idea was to build a fence around the law uh, to keep it safe, but the fence grew into its own country. And so Jesus is addressing how far away they've come with their traditions and their attitude of heart. They're not concerned about God at all. They're concerned that you are washing your hand the appropriate manner of time and the way we say to do it. Because they just kind of dipped it in. Remember I showed this before and let the water drip out. And that was it. But that was 
now I'm clean. So it has nothing to do with hygiene. It's not you as a good mom or a good dad telling your kids to wash their grubby hands before they eat. That is not what the Pharisees walked 90 miles to confront Jesus over. The issue is you aren't following, and you see the words that they use, the traditions. Look at, I believe it is verse 5. The Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Notice they do not say, why are they not following the law of Moses? Because the law of Moses is good. The tradition of the elders is an expansion of the law. Jesus tells them that by following the traditions over the commandments, you are hypocrites. That is what I want to talk about for us today. Can you already see how this works in our world? Because nobody in here is worried about hand washing. But there's a lot of us that are worried about lots of stuff the way that we grew up. Because we know what real holiness looks like. And it looks like the way my grandmother lived. Or my grandfather lived. Or mom lived. Or dad lived. And it's a certain set of rules. Let me give you an example to make everyone uncomfortable immediately. I remember growing up and hearing people say things like, I would never have a bottle of alcohol anywhere near my house. And it always kind of sounds like that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm not encouraging people to go get drunk. Okay? It's not, that's not my point. But the point is, is that alcohol itself became evil. And then it just grows from there. Alcohol is not evil. Any more than the brick in this wall is evil. If you use a brick to bash somebody over the head, now the brick is evil because of the person using it. If you use alcohol to get drunk and spend all your paychecks and ruin your family or kill someone in a drunk driving accident, now the alcohol is evil, but it's really you, you who were evil, it wasn't the alcohol. You abused it. That all makes sense, right? Does anybody remember that time, the very first time Jesus did a miracle? Does anybody remember what it was? It was turning the water into wine. Now, to get around this, the way the tradition of Appalachia works, is they'll say it's grape juice. I don't even know what to say about that other than it's silly. Because later Jesus talks about you put new wine and new wineskins because otherwise it will expand. It's this thing called fermentation. Uh, and it's only there and present with alcohol. Now again, don't go away from the sermon thinking, Pastor Steve is encouraging us to go drink. What I'm telling you is, is that alcohol, according to Proverbs, is something that God gave to make glad the hearts of men. And somehow, because of drunkenness, which is wrong... We take it off in Appalachia in particular, in the Bible Belt, in holiness traditions, and turn it into something that it's not, which is evil. The Pharisees have done the same thing. They have turned their traditions into the standard that everybody is measured by. 
So they take your eyes off of the real standard, which is the Word of God, and they give you a new standard, which is what they want to follow. They want you to follow it too. Why do, why do we do this? Does it, you ever thought... Let me try to make it something that we relate to. If I were to ask one of my children to clean their bedroom, that's a pretty clear expectation. And if I wrote down on a slip of paper, which this does happen at our house, actually, Jennifer, just yesterday, Marcoed, everybody knows what a Marco is, it's a video message that you can put groups in. It's really helpful when you have kids. Uh, my wife Marcoed a video of what she wanted done while she was out. She's re Jennifer's really good with this. Uh, so, Hannah, I want you to clean up the mudroom and do the laundry. Sophie, I want you to clean up your bedroom, and I want you to do this. Arwen, stay out of everybody's way. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is, and she get, gives a list. It's really easy to see if the list is done, isn't it? Because it's, it's clear, it's simple, and none of it was hard. It probably took, and they did a great job, by the way. I'll brag on the kids. They did a great job yesterday. Hannah also went above and beyond and made a lemon meringue pie from scratch, and it was unbelievably good, so I just want to say that publicly. Nobody's allowed to have it. It's at our house, and there's snow, so you couldn't come anyway. Um, so, but if Hannah had instead said, you know what I'm really going to do? I'm going to just open and shut this door 50 times. And I'm going to keep track of what I did. Because the essence of what mom wanted was me to go into the mudroom. So if I open and shut the door 50 times and keep track of it and write it down, surely that would be more impressive than going into the mudroom and cleaning it up. That's silly, right? When... When mom gets home, she's going to say, why didn't you do what I said? And Hannah will say, but look, I have a list of all the things I did do. I, I open and shut the door 50 times. It's, it's a little ridiculous, right? The hand washing is the open, opening and shutting the door 50 times. Because humans like to do things their way, on their terms, and they want to avoid whatever it is God is actually asking us to do. The reason legalism is attractive, the reason opening and shutting a door 50 times and keeping meticulous track of it, even though that's silly and doesn't accomplish anything, is because it feels like I did something important, and it looks like I did something a lot more than what was being asked. All she said was to go in and clean the mudroom. I did 50 of this repetitive motion. Clearly, what I did was important. And if you aren't willing to open and shut the door 50 times, then you must not be a really obedient child either. And this is, this is how legalism works. We hold people to standards that are not biblical, but we've made our own standards that are easy for us to do and we feel good about those things. And that is 
my feeble attempt to give a modern illustration of how ridiculous this kind of Christian living is, but I would venture to say that even though you're not doing anything as silly as opening and shutting a door 50 times, and you're not doing anything as silly as making a big pompous display of washing your hands after you've been around sinners, I would venture to say that all of us have an element of legalism floating around in our hearts and minds as we're trying to serve God. As we, It's easier to say, well, at least I don't do that, or at least I don't watch that, or at least I don't listen to that like he does. This is how legalism talks. I compare myself with other people, like the Pharisees are doing with the disciples, so I can feel good about how spiritual I am. Which is why Jesus says, well did Isaiah prophesy about these people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If we want to follow God, our hearts, captured by the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of God's been poured on our heart by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our hearts want to do what he says. So let me make sure that we understand that legalism is what we add to the commandment of God. But the commandment of God itself is not legalistic. Sometimes people will accuse you of being legalistic when you're actually being biblical. Look at verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. The, the impetus of the verse is the commandment of God is what we are supposed to be doing. We are not supposed to leave the commandment of God. Sometimes people think that you go too far. You mean you really do believe that homosexuality is a sin? Yes. Yes, we do. You, you really do believe that people should come to church? Yes, we, we do. You, you really, really believe that prayer is something that is meaningful? Yes, yes we do. You really believe that sex before marriage is wrong? Yes, yes we do. Why do you believe that? Because it's the commandment of God. And Jesus said that the commandment is not burdensome. So why do we like legalism? It's the same reason why it's silly for Hannah to just open and shut the door, but it looks like you're doing something. It looks like you're doing something. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Colossians warns against getting puffed up in our minds and talking about angels and new moons and Sabbaths because these things have an appearance of doing something against the flesh but are of no value of any kind. The only value is the new birth through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit doing the commandments of God. I don't even, anymore in my life, I do not view my trying to live for God as something that I alone am doing. And I really did used to think that image of God over here in the corner with the clipboard all right, Steve, it's January 16th. How are you going to screw up today? Because I'm, I'm ready. I'm not helping you. 
I'm not going to assist you at all. It's up to you to live your Christian life. I've given you all the rules. Do it. That's another way that legalism works, is it views God as detached, judging what we're doing. Well, He is judging what we're doing. The good news is, He gives us His grace that trains us to live godly lives, is what it says in Titus. The Holy Spirit empowers me to live for Him. I cannot do what He commands me to do, without His help to do it. Praise the Lord! This is good news. This is the Gospel. That you cannot do what He commands you to do without His help. The, the quicker you get that, the freer you get. Not free to sin, free to live in holiness. But there, is, there really is a freedom to live within the parameters that God has given. There is a genuine freedom to be holy before God because you love holiness. And you love it because God commands it. And you love His commandments because you belong to Him. And you quit thinking, I'm going to wash my hands enough and be holy enough to do the things to prove to God that I'm worth something or to prove to the people around me that I am truly a Christian. That is not the purpose. And all of us are susceptible to that kind of thinking and, the, and that feeling. And if you grew up in the Bible Belt, how many of you grew up in the Bible Belt? I mean, you, you feel it. You, you, you feel that encroaching on you all the time that you are not performing at the right standard. If you and I fall in love with Jesus, it is the weirdest thing in the world how much you just want to do what he says. And it's not some burdensome, awful, I can't do it. If you feel that way about living for God, you need to recognize that something is broken in your relationship with God. Something, in, something about the way you're thinking needs washed and cleansed by the washing of water through the Word. You need Scripture to speak into your life, which is why you should be reading your Bibles every day. Everybody reading your Bible through the, this year, right? Everybody getting through it? It's only it's the second week of January. Don't give up. Don't get stuck and say, oh, I'm only on Genesis 4 or whatever. You just keep plowing through. I've got the sheets in the back. Do it. Read your Bible. Okay. There's something else in here Um. That, that's going on, and it's in verse 9. Because when you read it, you probably went, what in the world is that talking about? As Jesus is rebuking them for following the tradition of men and not the commandment of God, he, says, uh, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition." This is what all legalism looks like, by the way. It rejects the truth of God's commandment and inserts a new thing. And here's what this thing was. And you can hear the evilness in it as we, do, as we explain it. From Moses said, honor your father and your mother. That's the commandment. That's straight out of the Ten Commandments. And... Whoever, a little bit later in Exodus, the same place, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. So 
that's the passage where it talks about uh, children being stoned for uh, doing evil things against their parents. So Jesus connects those two things and says, here is the commandment of God. But you say, here's how you hypocrites have come in and done your own thing. You say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making the word of God, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. What, what is he talking about there? Corban, it, it literally means a gift to the temple or a gift to God. And so what the Jewish Pharisees had done, they had come up with a system that said, okay, your parents are, are getting older and they're not able to take care of themselves and it is now the responsibility of the family to take care of them. I've got some money, I've got some projects, I've got some things in my life that I want to do. <clears throat> I really don't want to take care of mom and dad. So all this money that I've got that I could use to take care of mom and dad, I'm going to call it a gift to God, Corbin. I'm going to designate it as a gift to God. And I go through a little bit of a ceremony and say, this money and all future revenues and capital gains is a gift to God. Thus releasing me from trying to take care of my parents because I've already designated the funds. I've designated the funds to God. Now here's where it gets really exciting and you can kind of see uh, the selfishness of it then you can use that money to do whatever you want. Because after all, you have to live. And you have to pay your bills. And you have to buy food. So literally, what they would do is they would say, this money of mine is a gift to God. Okay, now I've, I've performed my ceremony. Therefore, I am now allowed to use the money however I like. And I don't have to take care of mom and dad. That is what Jesus is rebuking. You would not think that people would come up with that, or would you think that people would come up with that? Do we come up with stuff like that? Do we find ourselves saying, well, technically, come on, have you ever done that? Technically, the way I did that was right. Technically, I'm not lying. You do realize the moment you use that word, you're lying. Because the intent of your heart somewhere in there is to deceive or twist or obscure the truth. Technically, I'm not lying because I whispered it under my breath or I, I crossed my fingers behind my back. So I, that's, that is how we as people try to approach God and he doesn't buy it. Now, the Pharisees had said it was okay. This tradition has spread around, this Corbin tradition has spread around to allow you to do with your money whatever you want to do. Rather than being a steward that honors your father and your mother, Jesus saying here, he says, you have made void the word of God. This tells me that we can, for our own selfish reasons, twist the word of God to make it do what we want it to do. This is true not just of heretics and people we disagree with on YouTube, this is true of me in my house trying to figure out a way to technically do this and still have a clean conscience. Legalism is a weird thing. 
it diverts you away from the commandment of God to do what you want to do. And oddly enough, it comes with a burden that is too heavy to carry. So all you do as a Christian under legalism is feel guilty and gross, and you wind up committing sins that the holiness or the legalism was supposedly supposed to protect you from. It is, it is an odd thing to just try to do it on your own. It would be way better to simply say, I am going to follow the Scripture. Now, I want to end. We've got six minutes. And this is where I want us to go. I want you to go to 1 Timothy. Because I want you to hear something. 1 Timothy chapter 6. That is very freeing. The whole end of 1 Timothy chapter 6 is deals with money. And we haven't really been, well, we've been the Corbin rule um, deals with money. But I want you to hear how the Apostle Paul talks here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So that is good advice for a bunch of Americans that have a lot more money than anybody else throughout history. Not to set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. But let's keep reading. We put our hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Just let that sink into your bone marrow. God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Everything. God wants His people to enjoy everything He has richly provided. I want you to think about the things you love, whatever they may be. I'm going to give you something that I love. It may happen this afternoon. Snowing outside, no hope of escape, warm and snuggled up in the house, reading a book, having just eaten a really good meal with either coffee or hot chocolate, that to me is something I richly enjoy. Now, you have your own things that you richly enjoy. Richly enjoying those things is something that glorifies God as long as my hope is not in this thing. As long as my hope is in God who gave this moment to me to richly enjoy it. That way that everything we do becomes something that rebounds up to Him as glory to Him. 
I enjoy mowing the grass. I know it's weird. But I do. I enjoy mowing the grass. You may enjoy cooking or reading or taking naps or eating pizza or whatever you do at work. You enjoy it. How many of you get a certain charge out of accomplishment at work? Raise your hand. I did this thing. It feels good. I did it. Richly enjoy such a thing. I richly enjoy my family. Christmas, we just had it. I richly enjoy those moments. And these things, legalism tries to say, quit, stop, something's wrong. Here's the way it's supposed to be. That's why I wanted you to see this, that what we are supposed to be doing in our lives is absolutely enjoying the heck out of it. As long as your enjoyment of it is not centered on the thing itself. As long as you can do the first part of this verse, which says, hey, the rich that have a lot, don't be haughty, don't be arrogant, don't set your hopes on this uncertain riches, but on God. Because this applies if you're in a jail cell for serving Jesus. In which case I can richly enjoy the breath in my lungs and the life in my limbs and the brain that still works. I can still richly enjoy whether I've got a lot or I've got a little. Paul said I've learned how to abound and how to be abased. I've learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret is my hope and my heart are in God and nothing else. So that I do the commandments of God not to prove anything to anybody or to appease a legalistic taskmaster in the back of my head chirping all the time. Instead, I am enjoying what's in front of me in this day, in this moment, because God has given it. And because I am acknowledging God and glorifying God in it, I can richly enjoy everything that's thrown at me in my life. Sorrowful, but always rejoicing. This, this can be true when you have cancer. This can be true when there's devastating loss. This can be true no matter what is happening because God is the source and not the other things. This is an incredible thing to learn. And it sets you free to live holy lives. It doesn't set you free to say, oh, I can do whatever I like. No, what I like is what pleases God. And I know that because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. This is what being a Christian is really supposed to be like. Doug Wilson says there needs to be more beer and bacon. And I agree. There needs to be more of a hearty sense and reality of this bread that I eat and this family that I love and this church that I go to and this town I live in and this job I have are all gifts from God. Let's enjoy every last second, every drop that God has given. But I don't worship the thing. I worship the giver. And He's the focus. He's the source. And I'm going to finish with the very next verse. They are to do good, these rich folks. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, heaven, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life.
serve God vigorously. All of you've got little things you like. Enjoy them unto the Lord. Your life will be changed. You will not be a slave to legalism. You'll keep His commandments robustly, with vigor, with strength. And it won't feel like I'm just keeping a checklist. Because checklist Christianity is awful. All right. Let's all stand up. We're going to be dismissed. 11.32. Doesn't even appear to be snowing. If it does not snow... I will still richly enjoy this afternoon, but the richness may be diminished. Okay, let's pray. As we pray this morning, would you just ask God to help you with this? this what I'm saying is, 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 I believe, biblically true, but we need help to live this way. It is our tendency to drift into the pharisaical uh, rule-keeping as opposed to the freedom of truly enjoying what God has given. So Lord, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus, and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you. You have given us all things richly to enjoy. You've also given us your commandments, which we, in you, richly enjoy. With our heart, we desire to serve you. Lord, that part of us that finds there's another law in our members, the law of sin and death, God, that we struggle and fight with and we have that tug of war. Lord, I pray that we would see that it is in you and it is by you and by your spirit, by your power, that we can learn to trust and rest and know you and live for you, to be obedient to you without the sense of legalistic accomplishment, but grace upon grace that you are growing us by your Spirit. Lord, help us. It's, it's hard to keep it straight in our hearts and our heads. So Lord, we ask for your help. And I pray, Lord, that this year would be a year of just richly enjoying what you have given us. We give you glory, we give you honor, and we give you praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, you are officially dismissed. I would tell you to drive safe, but there's no need. Drive as recklessly as you normally would. We'll see you next week.